Welcome to the podcast of First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We are a welcoming and progressive Unitarian Universalist congregation, deeply committed to love and justice. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. Hello, dear ones. Good morning. Friends, this morning, I'm going to tell you a story about a water bearer. A water bearer is someone who travels on foot typically to fetch water from their nearest source and then carries that water all the way back to their own community. Now this particular water bearer lived in a small village in India and he served his community as their water bearer for many, many years. He carried his water in two big pots, one on each end of a long pole and hauled it on his back all the way back home every single day. The people of the village loved and honored their water bearer for his work, and they were always so glad to see him return every day. They would greet him with waves and smiles and thank yous for his service. But one day, the water bearer realized that one of his pots... Oh no! <laughs> I'm back! I'm so sorry, I have no idea where I left you, but I'm gonna just... I'm going to start where I think I left you anyway. So my friend, the water bearer, was too ashamed to tell any of his neighbors in the village that the pot was broken. And every day he would return with this water and they would still greet him like nothing was different. And he would just hang his head and quietly walk away. He wondered why the people were still so happy to see him every day. It was no secret that he wasn't bringing back nearly as much water as he had before, but the people continued to treat him like nothing had changed. So one day when he returned from his daily trip, he approached his neighbor on the street and said, my friend, it is no secret that I am not bringing back nearly as much water as I did before. I am so terribly sorry. One of my pots has sprung a leak and I've been too ashamed to mention it to anyone but we all know it plain as day. So why do you and the others continue to greet me with such love and affection? Are you not angry with me? His neighbor was shocked to hear this. Angry with you? Why, of course no one's angry with you. Don't you know what a gift you've given us? The water bearer was very confused. Gift? What do you mean gift? Come with me, the neighbor said. Let me show you something. They walked together back toward the water bearer's route. And as they did, the neighbor said, we all noticed your pot had sprung a leak some time ago. But it's okay. We don't blame you for that. You work so hard for us every day. We're so grateful to you. We, we would never blame you or make you feel bad about something you can't control. So we all got together and we planted some seeds along the side of the road. As they approached the roadway, for the very first time, the water bearer noticed the ground on his daily path. Along the side of the road, where the water bearer carried his broken pot every day, flowers had grown as far as the eye could see. Broken as his pot may be, the water bearer still served a beautiful purpose to his community. 
just by walking that path every day and with a little help from his friends, without even knowing it, he grew a garden. Now please enjoy our Dear First Universalist Choir's rendition of Shenandoah, video edited by Tina Wade.
Good morning. I also want to thank Rita for bringing these lovely flowers that are behind me today that happen to match my background so beautifully. And I want to dedicate these flowers to, to Cheswick Bozeman, Wakanda forever. On Tuesday of this week, we had our regular weekly staff meeting, our church staff meeting. Now, the Karen that likes to joke around, the Karen that likes to make up funny names for colleagues, the Karen who is always connecting the dots of ideas, the Karen that is an appropriately optimistic you, you who makes inappropriate off the cuff jokes did not come to staff meeting that day. She didn't. The Karen that came had been holding on to something that had been eating at her and bubbling up inside of her for weeks. And then boom, an explosion. She exploded and wept uncontrollably about someone at my other job who made a KKK joke that hurt my feelings, hurt my heart, froze my body and stunned me into complete silence. Now you know me, I'm never quiet. Not one utterance did I make. The tears and the sounds that I made at the end of that staff meeting were the sounds of love for my colleagues who could hold me and gird me. The tears and sounds that came were, that came out of me were like a medley of grief, a poem of loss, a litany for my diminished humanity. This was a lament. This was a lament. This was what many of us call that ugly cry. But friends, for some of us, all we may know about the word lamentations or lament is from the Bible. That amazing book of lamentations written by the great prophet Jeremiah in the Hebrew scriptures. That may be the only time we've ever even heard the word. It's not a word that's used that often. But the poetry of lamentation is found in all oral traditions, in all languages and all cultures across the globe. It can be found in ancient Egyptian, in Yoruba, in Chinese, in Sanskrit, and in Hindi. A lament has many faces. Yes, it is mourning, but not always about death. Mourning not for a purpose, but an existential wail as primal as the child's need to cry. Throughout human history, from the Australopithecines, the early hominids who lost a baby in childbirth in the Rift Valley, to the children who watched their father being shot in the back seat of a car in Kenosha. Lament is a way of bearing the unbearable. A human need to say no, to say why, to say help. Laments tell the truth of the suffering that is smothering our worthiness, our dreams, and our ability to work towards a better day or a better life or a better future. Naming these horrors in an unrestrained lament helps mold us into a people who respond with an empathic no to the way our nation and our communities are turned into graven images of hatred and despair. 
Lamenting is healing. And the need for healing is paramount the world over. Therefore, the loss of lament in Western culture is lamentable. I believe that one of the reasons we have trouble lamenting in this country is the imprint of Christian theology on our secular culture. Think about it, friends. It is not fashionable for people to feel and show emotions, particularly here in Minnesota. How often do we see folks apologize when they start to cry, even though they have suffered a great loss, and this is the most natural reaction. Some people even then apologize for apologizing. In our culture, we have come to think of such powerful expressions of grief as unattractive, and therefore we seek to avoid them. Don't wanna mess up my makeup. To avoid even seeing them, I better hide over here like Arif says. Did anybody see me? Much less grieving like this ourselves. We don't want anyone to see it. Eventually, though, friends, idealism about what one is facing when it doesn't match up with reality will give way to weariness, trauma, grief, complicated grief, suffering, but there is nothing to be ashamed of concerning sorrow, misery, grief, or lamentation. Now, many of you are UUs because you were dissatisfied with the traditional Christian responses that do not serve those caught in the grip of suffering. They are based on doctrinal constructs that do not correspond, again, with people's real life experiences. This theodicy problem has long been recognized as a dilemma of Christian theology, and especially for Jews, even after the Shoah in Jewish theology. God's authority is asserted with the words omnipotent, omnipresent, all-powerful. This thinking asserts that if something goes wrong, terribly wrong, horribly wrong, deathly wrong, it must be the fault of the sufferer. I'll never forget uh, a mother who came into the hospital, her son had just been shot, and she said to me, I know why this happened, chaplain. I said, why? She says, I haven't been going to church. Blaming the sufferer. So does the all God, all good God, allow suffering for whatever reason as a punishment for sin, as a test of faith, as a means to saving others, to impart some moral lesson? This thinking trivializes and justifies the victim's suffering, which causes more harm than aid. Now, we can all nod our heads. But don't get too comfortable, my fellow UUs, shaking your head at the problems and dilemmas of Christian theology. The same problem exists with our secular liberal democracy. Think about it. Starting with the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, the words do not match up with reality. So does the all-good, all-knowing democracy allow suffering for whatever reason as a punishment for Blackness? as a test to our patriotism, as a means of saving whiteness, to impart some moral lesson, 
This thinking also trivializes and justifies the victim's suffering, which causes more harm. How many of you, just for one second, just for one second, when they said that Brother Jacob in Kenosha may have had a knife in his car, in his car, but for one second went, oh, okay, okay. This thinking trivializes and justifies the victim's suffering, which causes more harm. If people are to move from purely passive endurance of suffering to suffering that can humanize them in a productive way, then one of the things we need to do, friends, one of the things we need is a language that is honest, a language that is relevant, a language that is truthful, and that is born of real experience. Here's a great example. A thousand years ago, women, from Hunan province in central China, were denied literacy and imprisoned by feet bound to the size of three inches from their seventh year. They fought back though and took revenge by inventing a secret written language incomprehensible to men called Nushu. This female language now on the verge of extinction was only recently discovered having their lives placed in this language. These Chinese women felt a desperate need for their own language in which to protest and bewail their situation in support of each other. Today, the access to this language is in the form of an ancient traditional poetry that has recently been documented and published. This literature was a way for these women to bear the unbearable through a self-defined language of lament. In this community, lament was both communal and private. It spoke with political, social, and religious voices. It calls on spiritual entities and higher powers to be accountable. And at the same time, it calls upon them for aid and relief. It accuses them and praises them. It is deeply spiritual as well as subversive and political. Lamentation then is about release, about letting the painful emotions flow, letting fear fly free, letting doubt invade your thoughts, letting bewilderment puzzle you, letting anger absorb you, and letting shame and guilt shatter you, and most of all, let sadness in. During that staff meeting, the release of energy was accompanied by my noises, the sounds of crying, shouting, sobbing, kneeing, sighing, whimpering, and the fall of tears, even the streaming of mucus. Resisting difficult emotions is often our default position. It's not easy to endure those feelings, let alone welcome them. I know it's hard to allow ourselves to feel the hurt. But if we ignore the lament, friends, we displace the resulting serenity of understanding and acceptance when we eventually assimilate our losses into ourselves, assimilate our lament into our spirit, and embody that awful pain with self-compassion and right actions. Before we step out in strength with determination to fight for justice or, an emotion, or seek an emotional equilibrium to our bad days, 
we must allow and create space for our pain and our tears. For it's in these places that we find true strength to bear the unbearable. When we let lament flow its natural course down the river of our bodies, we ready ourselves to engage with life anew and move forward. Without lamentation, without the emotional healing, this process cannot advance towards resolution. It cannot happen, in which case misery can only persist. You use avoid lamenting. The absence of lament in our liturgy of UU churches results in the loss of our memory. We forget the reality of suffering and pain and go too quickly to indignation and moral outrage. Friends, we are in a time of an environmental crisis, displaced people, war, exile, abuse, fear, poverty, uprising, hatred, all coated with depression and anxiety. We cannot approach these concerns with just our held values and our pristine beliefs. Sorry, we can't. Any theological reflection that observes the suffering of the have-nots, those people, my neighbors down the street, that result in you calling Black people to see how they are doing after another visual of their degraded humanity has been plastered across your television, that does not include your lament is a phone call you do not need to make. Don't call me and ask me how I am. Your call to me minimizes the onslaught of being hunted like an animal every day. Lament with me. Lament with me. The triumphalism of the haves that place a Black Lives Matter sticker on their Facebook page is too neat and tidy for the power of my cries. Lament with me. Lament with me. Any theology of hope and celebration is incomplete and inhuman. Lament with me. Lamenting is risky speech. Or as the great Protestant theologian Walter Brueggemann says, lamenting is dangerous, restless speech. Dangerous, restless speech. Friends, when our tears become ideas and our emotions become political, lamentation can become dangerous, powerful, provocative, a tool because it challenges power structures. It calls for justice. It pushes the boundaries of our relationship with each other and our spirits to the very limits of what we can believe can exist. Lamentations makes us refuse to settle for the status quo, reminding us and the powers that be that this human situation is unacceptable and that we must act. Laments are irreversible when spoken. It is done and cannot be recalled. It takes risk because one never knows until the act is done whether one has gone too far. Now there's an ancient Hebrew ritual of lament that includes the tearing of one's clothes 
the tearing of one's clothes, ripping them off and saying no more, the tearing of one's clothes. And then people would put on a sackcloth made of goat hair, the itchiness to remind them of the pain. I tear my clothes and I put on my sackcloth made of burlap from Michael's. But I say, let us read the first chapter of Lamentations. And it goes like this. How deserted lies the city, once so full of people. How like a widow is she who once was great among the nations. She who was queen among the provinces has now become a slave. Bitterly she weeps at night, tears are upon her cheeks among all her lovers. There is no one to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her. They have become her enemies. After affliction and harsh labor, Judah has gone into exile. She dwells among the nations. She finds no resting place. All who pursue her have overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads to Zion mourn, for no one comes to her appointed feast. All her gateways are desolate. Her priests groan, her maidens grieve, and she is in bitter anguish. Blessed be. Amen. And Ashe. Thank you for listening to this podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We are a welcoming community that finds strength in the diversity of identities of all who find inspiration and comfort here. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. Text First Univ, that's F I R S T U N I V, to 73256 to make your gift. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.